I'll invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. This evening we are moving from the third chapter of the Confession to the fourth, and we're beginning our our consideration of creation, and of course beginning with Genesis chapter 1. So let's give attention now to the reading of God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together He called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures And every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we are in awe and wonder over what you have created. We remember that you have displayed your glory, your beauty, and everything that you have made. There are, as it were, words in everything. If we only know to look, we may be instructed in the truth. Give us, Father, eyes to see. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you, um, I'm sure, love to read. Uh, You love reading good books, not so much bad books, but uh, books are a delight to the mind and the heart. If you find uh, good ones, I recommend Louis L'Amour, as you know. Uh, He has some very good ones. Um, God has written two books. God has written two books. One book is the Bible. In it, He discloses to us the work of redemption, and that's where we began with our survey of the Westminster Confession. We began with the Scriptures. We learn in the Bible alone how man is saved. There is no other place to find out how to be reconciled to a holy and righteous God but in the Bible. That's it. God has written a second book, and you can probably guess what it is. The second book is the book of creation. In this book, this is the book that we are concerned with tonight. In this book, we learn who God is. And we want to understand tonight, we want to understand why and how this book was written by God's divine hand. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 4, paragraph 1, states it this way. This is what we're working through. It pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make out of nothing the world and everything in it, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. That's the statement from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, I want to give you, as we get into this, just a little bit of context. We are moving from, in the confession, we're moving from pre-creation now into creation. We're going from pre-time, thinking about God and His existence, and thinking about His decrees, all which took place in eternity past, and we're moving into 
the time of creation. Before the world began, God decreed all that would come to pass. You think about maybe, I don't think Bob Ross did it this way, but you imagine an artist with a blank canvas imagining what he wants everything to look like. I think Bob Ross just did it as he went, and he was so gifted that he could just make it that way. But an artist might think of what he wants his art to look like, and then he begins the work. And this is how we think of creation and providence. In fact, the Westminster Larger Catechism puts it this way, how does God execute his decrees? That is, what will come to pass? And it answers it this way, God executes his decrees in the works, there are two of them, creation and providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own work. So we will begin tonight by thinking about the purpose and the work of creation, and then next week, Lord willing, we will think about the creation of man. Now I want you to understand something. As we get into this discussion of creation, there are lots of different ways to go about this. Today we think of creation as an argument. I have to argue my point that God made the world. That's not how the confession approaches this at all. The confession approaches this topic just like the Bible does, by saying, this is what happened, period. Now, I think there are some reasons for that. Um, The false theory of evolution didn't arise for another 200 or so years. Think of uh, the confession as being written in the late 1630s and into the 1640s. And it wasn't until the 19th century, the the early to mid-1800s, that Charles Lyell and Charles Darwin came along with their philosophical theories of evolution. So 200 years later. And so the confession then simply asserts that this is what happened. This is what happened. This is exactly how the scriptures begin, isn't it? How how does the Bible begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's no run up to it. I know that some of you probably won't buy into this jargon, but this is what we're suggesting, that there is a divine mind between all of these things that exist in this orderly fashion. The scriptures simply state it, and you accept it or you don't. And so we'll think about this in just a a few points. The first thing that we're going to notice from the confession is the purpose of creation. What led to this preposterous work? What led to this preposterous work of the universe? Well, the confession teaches us that the creation exists for two reasons. You exist for two reasons, and the first reason is to please God. To please God. Creation exists for the triune God's pleasure. The confession emphasizes, as it works through the uh, scripture proofs for this, it emphasizes the role of each person in the work of creation so that we remember that, that each person has a role. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has a role in the creation of the world. So we look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, 
whom He appointed, think of this, the heir of all things is Christ. All of this exists to be given to Christ as an inheritance, as it were, through whom He also created the world. All things are created through Christ. This is what John, as he was sitting down to write his gospel inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is where he began. In that he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. The Father, for his own pleasure, created through Christ for His pleasure by His Word, all of these things were made. The Spirit also was active in creation according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. As we work through Genesis 1, did you notice how often we get this idea that one thing is separated from another, the waters above separated from the waters below, the light is separated from darkness. There's the work of the Spirit is doing what? Taking this formless, void world and giving it order. And Job, Elihu reflects on this, by his wind or spirit, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Job 33, 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The first thing that we remember, you and I, as we reflect on creation, is not only does all that exist please us, it also pleases God and exists for Him. But not just for His pleasure, it also exists for His glory. The confession goes on to remind us that, that the creation manifests God's attributes. What does it mean to manifest something? Well, it, it doesn't mean you speak your own destiny into existence. What the confession reminds us is that God take, that the creation takes the invisible attributes of God and puts them on display. Think about that. The creation takes the invisible attributes of God and puts them on display. Creation glorifies God by making His invisible attributes visible. So that to observe any aspect of God's creation is to observe what? The attributes of God. It is to observe His wisdom, His power and goodness. And so the study of any fact of the universe, whether you're looking through a microscope or a telescope, ought to include these questions. How does it show me God's wisdom, power, and glory? His goodness. Well, which attributes does it manifest? One, His eternal power. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For His invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. 
Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Do you understand what this is saying? That you and I don't have to argue for the existence of God. Why? Because everything he's made argues for his existence in a perpetual 24-hour-a-day sermon. His eternal power is shown. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12 reminds us that his eternal wisdom is clearly demonstrated. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding, stretched out the heavens. And in Psalm 104, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. God's power and God's wisdom are displayed for you perpetually. But one other thing is also perpetually displayed for you. And it is His goodness. His goodness. And remember, when we talk about God's goodness, we're also talking about His mercy and His grace and His love. All of these things flow down from the goodness of God's character. Psalm 33, which we read tonight. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth, listen, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Did you know that? The earth is full of His steadfast love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His power, all their host. Now, thinking about this, you and all of creation exist for God's pleasure. And this reminds us, doesn't it? I don't exist for myself. I don't exist unto myself. I can't put myself in a vacuum. You do not exist for your own pleasure. You exist for God's pleasure and His glory. And all creation does it. What do we mean by that? What do we mean when we say all creation exists for God's pleasure and God's glory? Let me give you some examples. We mean everything. The plant life cycle. The water cycle. The laws of thermodynamics. Gravity, hair, if you have it, eyeballs, all of these things exist for God's glory and His pleasure. All these things exist, listen to me, so that in studying them, you understand that you are studying the divine attributes of the living God. And this is the evil of the system of humanism that we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. It simultaneously robs God of His pleasure and His glory. I want to give you just a quote here from Charles Hodge. And I encourage you, if you ever want to... Charles Hodge was a contemporary of Charles Darwin. And so in his systematic theology, he offers an excellent critique. An excellent critique of Charles Darwin, especially pointing out that he didn't even submit his work as a scientific paper, but as a philosophical paper. Here's Charles Hodge. Ordinary men 
reject this Darwinian theory with indignation as well as with decision, not only because it calls upon them to accept the possible, think about this, because it calls upon them to accept the possible as demonstrably true. And you understand that one, what took place between Lyell, who looking at the Thames River and the, salt and the sediment, sedimentary deposits there, said a couple hundred thousand years for the earth, to Darwin, who said a few million years. And Hodges says, well, you can just add millions of years at a whim, whatever it's going to take for your theory to work out. You're asking us to accept what is possible as demonstrably true. But because it ascribes to blind, unintelligent causes, that is, unwise causes, the wonders and purpose and design which the world everywhere exhibit. And here, here's the final phrase here. And because, he says, it effectually banishes God from his work. And it not only banishes God from biology, as we know, but from math and science and English. It takes him out of all of it. Secondly, the work of creation. We think about the essential elements of that first work. What do we find that God did it in the beginning? He created. He did it in the space of six days, and it was all very good. Time began with the Word of God. Prior to that, God existed in and of Himself in perfect peace and unity within the Trinity. But Genesis 1.1 teaches us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He started time. Colossians 1.16, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And so we stop and we think and we wonder at the fact that all of the angels are around God's throne, the elect angels around God's throne, praising Him. They exist for Him, but also the wicked and fallen exist for the glory of God. Even Satan himself is created through Christ and for Christ. Acts 17.24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. You see, the Scriptures simply assume and assert this truth. This is the way it is. The confession goes on. What does it mean when we say that He created? Well, it adds this statement. To make of nothing. Um, early Greek philosophers asserted the idea, especially the Gnostics, that God created out of an eternal and pre-existing substance. Augustine tussled with this idea some. But God, we are reminded, did not create the universe out of pre-existing material. The world and everything in it was created By the word of his power. He spoke and it came into existence. We learn in Hebrews 11.3. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. How long did it take him to make it? Well, that's a subject of debate, as you know. The confession says, in the space of six days. And so I want to take just a minute to work into that just, just a little bit. Because that phrase is the subject of much debate, even in our own denomination. In fact, I would suggest to you that our denominational seminary is producing more men who accept that phrase as an allegory for millions of years than as a literal 24-hour day. The phrase itself, in the space of six days, we did not read in Genesis 1, did we? We don't find in the space of six days. So it actually originated with John Calvin. And Calvin, in his commentary on Genesis chapter 1, is arguing against Augustine. And Augustine said that everything came into existence instantaneously. And so the six days were sort of a working out of what God created in an instant. Calvin is saying, no, in the space of six days, things came into existence. Well... Bishop Usher, whose name you may be familiar with, if you're not, Bishop Usher is famous for producing the first sort of calendar of the world. And up until the 1600s, everybody accepted that the world was about 6,000 years old. If you rejected a 6,000-year-old earth, you were considered a weirdo. Bishop James Usher also produced the Irish articles of religion. And that was the first place that that phrase, in the space of six days, was included in a confession. And so the Westminster Divines borrowed from from that Irish confession of faith produced in 1615 as they were putting together uh, our own Westminster Confession. So article 18 says this, in the beginning of time, When no creature had any being, God, by his word alone, and here it is, in the space of six days, created all things, and afterwards, by his providence, doth continue propagate and order them according to his own will. Now, what you should understand as you're thinking through this, what did the divines mean by in the space of six days? Now, we know that the theory of evolution didn't come about for another couple hundred years. Did they have in mind that one day might constitute thousands of years? Well, some in our own denomination say, I don't know, maybe. But taking the divines themselves, there is no view, understand this, no view other than a calendar day view, a 24-hour day view, was ever argued by any of the authors of the Westminster Confession. In fact, five men have written about creation, and in all five writings, they argue for a 24-hour day. The 39 articles do not address the doctrine of creation. The Belgic Confession addresses creation, but not the span of time. 
our denomination in the year 2000 decided that since historically in Reformed theology, there has been a diversity of views of the creation days among highly respected theologians, and since the PCA has from its inception allowed a diversity, that the assembly affirm that such diversity as covered in this report is acceptable. And here's the, here's the catchphrase. As long as the full historicity of the creation account is accepted, and obviously that is subject to interpretation. The general practice in our denomination is to license and ordain men who hold two views, including the framework hypothesis, which says that Genesis 1 is merely a poem. It isn't intended to convey literal meaning. Reinterprets Genesis 1 that way. And the day-age theory. Wise presbyteries permit these views to be held, but they do not permit them to be taught. to give you two simple rules of thumb when it comes to the six days and what they constitute. One, whenever we find the ordinal numbers used in the Scriptures, first, second, followed by the Hebrew term yom or day, it always refers to a 24-hour day. Secondly, when you look at Exodus chapter 20, and the reference to the creation week and the Sabbath command, how is it to be understood that a week is a week when it refers to the creation week if the creation week wasn't a real week? We could go on, but we'll let that suffice. God created out of nothing by the word of His power in the space of six days, and lastly, all very good, in the beginning, everything that God created worked exactly as it was intended to work. Everything worked the way that it was intended to work. Everything delighted God, and everything brought Him pleasure. It wasn't the case in the beginning that anything did not please Him. And that's so important. Why? Because we discern from the beginning what it will be like in the end. And when Christ returns, one thing we know for sure, that everything in creation will please God again, including you and me. All things exist for the pleasure and glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you and I would do well simply to make this our daily meditation. I exist for God's pleasure. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm breathing. Here's a good mantra. I was made to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. When you enjoy God, when you enjoy God, you please Him. When you please Him, you also find the satisfaction of your soul. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for this precious doctrine of creation. You reveal it to us, O oh Lord, because it is true. And we remember principally from this that we exist for your pleasure, as do all things. 
And we thank You that You have chosen, according to Your own free will, to write not one book, but two. We learn also from the book of creation, O Lord, that You are angry. And we thank You that You've given us the second book of Scripture to teach us how that anger is satisfied. Lord, we pray now, help us to wake up with this daily mantra. I exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Amen.